Hi, welcome to Critical Skills. Uh, my name is Mary, and I get the privilege of teaching you tonight about the spirit of fear. And uh, for those of you who have been in this class before, we're going to follow the same format that we have in all of our previous classes. Uh, we'll first spend a little bit of time covering the definition of what fear is. Then we'll discuss doorways, potential entry points. Uh, then we'll spend some time talking about the description of how fear works, the health consequences, and then I'll spend a little time talking about what God says and, more importantly, what we do about it. Um, just follow along with your handout. Uh, it will be pretty obvious when there are blanks that you need to fill in. Um, and then as we go through, I'll probably put a little bit of my story in it because this is something that I have personally had to walk through and work uh, with, with the Holy Spirit in finding victory in my own life. So, um, yeah, let's get started. Um, like I said, this stronghold for a lot of my life shaped and distorted many of my thoughts and actions. Um, it's consumed me and at times almost ruined me. I would pray for God to release its hold on me, but I couldn't see how deeply it had infiltrated my thinking, my thinking patterns and, and my actions, and I'd never really learned how to repent of it. In many ways, I think I almost protected it because I didn't know who I would be without it. It justified all of my actions. It made my reactions and the way that I would um, walk through life make sense to me. So in some way, I almost feel like I protected the spirit of fear because I didn't know what my life would be like without it. So my prayer is that as we talk about this tonight, I will be giving you information, but more than anything through my testimony and my story that God brings revelation to you because really that's what we want. This class is not about just pouring information on you. It's about seeing your lives transformed and seeing our hearts surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, before we get started, I would love to just spend a moment praying uh, because honestly, the spirit of fear does not want to go away. And sometimes the thing we fear most is being delivered of fear. Um, because of the things I just said. So before we get started, if you all wouldn't mind, like if we could just put our hands out, just get in a posture of surrender. And I'm just going to do a brief prayer so that as, as we're processing through this information that we can invite the Holy Spirit into this room and just hear what he has to say to us as I'm speaking. So Heavenly Father, we love you and we worship you. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness in each of our lives, that you would even bring us to this place tonight to hear your word, to hear truth. Spirit, we submit to you. We submit all of ourselves to you. We ask you to come and bring life and bring full interpretation to your word, and we pray that it would penetrate our hearts. Lord, we just um, give our hearts up to you and ask you, Holy Spirit, to shine your light into the dark places, things that are hidden, things that we haven't seen, and things that we don't understand. God, we trust you, that you are a protector, that you are a savior, and spirit, we're asking you to be our leader and our counselor as we walk through this. So Lord, we just surrender ourselves fully to you and what you have to say to us tonight. We know that's scary and hard, but we trust you that you are a loving father and that you care for us and you will lead us. So be with us tonight as we hear this information, but more than anything, we ask for revelation in our hearts. We thank you that you are our leader and our healer. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so what is fear? I mean, at its simplest form, fear is just an emotion, right? 
I mean, I think we all can acknowledge that fear is not a bad thing. Fear keeps us from running out in front of a semi. Fear keeps us from jumping off the top of a skyscraper or putting our hand in a fire. If I'm being chased by a lion, I'm going to appreciate the fact that fear makes me run faster. So at its, at its basic form, the emotion of fear itself is not a sin and it's not an agreement. It's when we transfer that emotion into our behaviors and we allow it to rule us and allow it to transform our actions and our emotions. God even tells us in his word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but that is a very different fear than what we have come to be conditioned towards or what we accept in our culture. We've accepted a completely different type of fear, so much so that I think we've lost a complete understanding of what it means to fear the Lord, and we'll talk a little bit about that more later. Fear has been hijacked by the enemy, and Satan has taken it and he has distorted it, and he has used fear as maybe his biggest tactic in destroying our faith and ultimately our lives if we let him. And it motivates most all of us if it's left unchecked and hidden. Um, So let's think about what do we think Satan's chief and motivating goal would be in our lives. I think we would originally, everyone would say, ah, he's here to still kill and destroy, which yes, that is what he's here to do, but that's more of his strategy. What is his goal? I think to understand more of that, we need to look at Isaiah 14, um, verses 12 through 14, where we look at Satan's fall and his story of um, how he began to become the, the stealer, killer, and destroyer of our lives. Uh, Let's start in verse 12. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. And I, I, the last sentence is the one that really sticks out to me because ultimately we see his goal is to be God. Satan believes he is worthy of worship. He should be in the position of God and he completely undercuts God's authority, glory, who he is by feeling that he deserves to be in that position. So what is God's primary desire for us? Worship. I mean, there are angelic beings whose total job and purpose and creation in life is to give worship to the Father. And really, we begin as we grow closer in our relationship with him to understand that's really all we want to do is just give him worship and praise him for who he is. Well, Satan is no different. Satan also has a longing and a desire, and it's to be worshiped. If we were to define worship, we would say worship is simply giving God our full attention and our devotion. It's praising him for who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. So we know Satan is the big counterfeit. He is not a creator. He's not creative. All he knows how to do is rip things off. So if he were going to counterfeit God's glory and be the object of worship, what would it look like for him to receive our worship? I believe that one of the main things he does is he places our attention and our focus on fear. Because when we put our attention and our focus on fear, we give him power. We put faith in what he can accomplish and the destruction that he can cause. 
It's at that point, fear moves from being just an emotion to a sin when it becomes the object of our desire. We worship that which consumes us. It's a really big statement. Like, if we think about that, like, if we worship what consumes us, I know for me, for a lot of my life, the things that have consumed me have not been the Lord. It's been, you know, how do I fix something? How do I make someone like me? How do I get rid of a problem? So when we continually walk in fear, we're giving endless praise to the father of lies. When I recently realized this, I I, I just came undone. I hadn't realized really what I had been doing. Worry and fear seemed so innocent. It seemed so much just, oh, I'm a little worried about this thing going on with my kids. Oh, you know, my baby's had this rash. I'm a little worried about it. Um, I hadn't realized how much it had taken over my thought life. I hadn't realized or even see, I couldn't see how it was the motivator around most every thought pattern that I had in my life. Ouch. That's not a fun realization. Um, So that's a little bit of my background with fear and how I've begun working through it. It's just realizing really how fear transfers my love and my emotion from giving it to God to putting all the attention on the enemy and what he can do. So let's break fear down a little bit more. So the physical reaction of the basic emotion of fear is easy to identify. We know the feeling when our hearts start to beat fast, our palms or our armpits might get a little bit sweaty. Um, we have to do something. We feel this, this anxiousness that something has to happen. But what about the more subtle and mature version of fear? Once we've become a little more, I don't know, comfortable with that sweaty pit, heart racing feeling of fear, it's almost that becomes dull to us. And um, it begins to take on this more um, difficult to see form. It, it almost, I say that it almost makes a, this dumb, dull, numb, um, consuming thought that just slip and slowly slip into our natural way of thinking. It's not something that all the day I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm so fearful about this. I'm sweating. No, like in its mature version, most people don't even know I'm fearing because I've absolutely convinced myself and everyone else it's not fear. I've just begun to control. So what it looks like on the outside, in the beginning, it's very obvious, but as it matures and progresses and takes a greater stronghold in our life, we're able to cover and compensate it in ways that make it hard for most of us to even see that it's acting as a chief motivator and a stronghold in our life. It says, I must protect. I must be like God. I have to determine what my future is because I don't trust that he can do it. I know this because I've realized that a lot of my life I've been doing it. Um, It used to be really obvious, but over time it became very elusive. At times I called it discernment. At times I would even say it's just wisdom. I have to protect my kids. I have to protect myself. But deep down, if I were to really be honest with myself, I knew that I was working out my own plan to save myself or other people. So what is the definition of fear? This is where you're going to want to start looking at your handout. Um, Fear is a decision, and it's a decision to do two things simultaneously. The first, it is an unbelief in God's goodness, while simultaneously believing 
in the enemy's ability to overcome. So ultimately, if I have an unbelief in God's goodness and I'm also at the same time believing in the enemy's ability to overcome, I'm ultimately saying that fear is a form of faith. It's just faith in the wrong guy. I've picked the wrong side to put my faith in. And I'm making a decision that says that the enemy is able. So, oh gosh, I think it was three months ago, um, we had this little thing play out at our house, which was, at the time, not so funny. But as I share the story, I think it's quite humorous. So um, I was downstairs. We were getting ready to go away. I have four children, and it's really hard to be on time. Um, they age in age from ages 14 to 1. So you can imagine the plethora of things that need to get accomplished before we get in the car. And as we were getting ready to go, I had asked one of my children to put the baby in the car, and all of a sudden I hear this screech, and my oldest daughter is yelling, ah, ah, there's, a, there's something in the house, something ran in the house. And of course, like, my immediate thought was like, how do I get my husband home? He has to fix this because I can't do it. And I realized pretty quickly that if I didn't deal with the situation, this big hairy thing, also known as a chipmunk, was going to run loose in my house. So um, real quickly, I ran over. I'm like, OK, where is it? Where is the chipmunk? Where did it go? And Leah's, my middle daughter, is up on a chair on the kitchen table. And she's like, it's in the family room. So I kind of block off the doorways. And my heart is racing so fast. I, I, I mean, I, I'm seeing all the scenarios in my mind of like, what if I can't get the chipmunk out? What if it gets up in our bedrooms? What if it hides in the basement? What if it hides? It has babies. Then the babies take over our house. I mean, my brain was moving so fast as I was jimmy-rigging away to block all the entrances, but also that they couldn't crawl under couches. And somehow, out of nowhere, this was a total miracle and act of God. My daughter, who was hiding for her life in the garage, says, Mom, it ran into the laundry room. And I'm like, thank you, God. This is awesome. I can really contain it. So... I build another barrier so that now I know the chipmunk is completely, completely isolated into one corner of our house where I proceed to get a broom and a dustpan and stand on top of the washer and dryer as I'm screaming. I don't know why I'm screaming. I have no idea. I know it's not going to hurt me, but like I was completely out of control. Like, get out. Oh, get out. And somehow we were able to chase the chipmunk out the door. It was awesome. It was, it was parenting at its best. I felt like I was a superhero, um, but it was very interesting. Like the 10 minutes that played out after this occurred were fascinating because my children were completely hysterical. They were so scared. I mean, it was like they couldn't get in the car because they were afraid the chipmunk got into the car. And then they started, what if the chipmunk stayed in the house? What if it went back in and we didn't, what if, what if, what if? And at that moment, I, it had to have been the Holy Spirit because it was so like those crystal clear moments where you're like, whoa, oh. And I remember looking at the kids and saying, have you ever heard of a family that lived in a lovely house and one day a chipmunk came in and the family moved out, they packed up their bags, they lost their home, and they no longer lived there because it now belonged to the chipmunk. And they kind of laughed and then kind of were annoyed at the same time. 
But the reality of just, and for me to say, no one's ever lost their home to a chipmunk, kids. It's just, it's a tiny little mouse. Like, it can't hurt us. Think how small it is. For us to think we need to move out of our house or move out, like, not go into our car because a tiny little chipmunk is in it. And I give you that story, one, because I think it's a great way to see how fear can completely come out of nowhere and create these stories that are um, outlandish in your mind. But the other reality of that is, is that's what fear is. Fear is a little tiny chipmunk and we let it get into our house. And some of us just give it squatter's rights and we say, okay, it's your house. You can have it. Sure, little chipmunk. I'm too scared of you, you small little striped rat. I'm going to go somewhere else and you can have my whole house. And I think that that's what we do with fear a lot of times. Um, I heard a quote once that said, more than 99% of the time, our fears are just stories that we tell ourselves. They're stories we make up because creating stories becomes a habit. Then the habit turns us into victims. Victims of our own creation with unchallenged thoughts and dire predictions. We become zombies, shuffling through life, wearing smudged glasses, viewing the world with a filter of darkness and fear. It drains our energy, our joy, our joy for life. We don't realize how easy it is just to take off the glasses and wake up. It's really easy to be fear-free, but it's hard to believe that when we're sitting and soaking in a cesspool of fear, or anger, depression, anxiety, or all the other agents of fear that go along with it. And obviously, we know that as believers, the cure is easy. God's already done the work. Jesus died on the cross. He always, already set us free. All we have to do is repent and give it to him. But somehow when we're in it, that chipmunk or fear looks like it's the size of a lion. And we just don't feel like we can fight it. Um, fear is just a story that we tell ourselves that does not include God. And I will tell you, 100% of the time, it is co-authored by our enemy, Satan. Fear can be completely and totally paralyzing and make us feel foolish, but yet we still hold hands with it and walk with it out of curiosity where it will take us. I mean, I probably only need to say one word and our, and our pulse will quicken. And if I ask you if you've ever been led down a path of fear, if I say this word, you're going to have some form of like, oh, yes, dang it. Google. We've all been down, led down the rabbit trail of our own what if. What if that thing the doctor said is this? Oh, what if that thing my kid is doing is this? I mean, Google, Siri has just become a partner in our fantasizing about fear and putting power on the what if and what the enemy could really be doing. If, I thought, if a thought ever starts with the words what if, I'm just going to say right now, if it starts with what if, it's going to be rooted, rooted in fear. What if always takes us down a path and always opens up a door of thinking that, that Satan's going to win and God's not. What if that relationship's never healed? What if that person always hates me? What if I never have a friend like that again? We walk 10 steps down the fantasy of fear and wonder why we can't hear God's voice. Because by that point, we're so far down, and we've read so many Google articles, and we've talked to so many of our friends, and convinced ourselves that fear's going to win, that God can't even speak to us. We can't even hear what he has to say. 
I went through a season of life uh, where I was utterly controlled by fear. And I remember one night walking through my kitchen alone, and I was completely overcome by fear. And it was at that point I realized that I needed to decide that I had to have more faith in God than I was going to have in evil winning. And I literally remember stopping out loud and just saying this. I mean, I remember no one's in my house, and I said it so loud. I said, no, I will not walk in fear. I am protected under the covering of my heavenly father and my earthly shepherd. You cannot harm me. You can't have my family. You can't have my house. You go away in the name of Jesus. I will not partner with fear anymore. And I remember at that moment, there was just this power that rose up. I mean, the torment completely ended. It was like peace came flooding in, and I knew whose I was. And I knew who had the situation under control so that all I could do was fall on my knees and worship him and thank him and be weak and be sad but not be afraid. And, and even in the midst of that, like there was this hope rising up in me that things were going to change. And they have. They did. From that point on, I feel like just changing my, my attitude and my belief and repenting of who I was going to agree with changed everything. Does that make any sense? That's my story. So now we're going to hit some of the more critical points that I want to just give to you as we begin looking at this in our own lives and how it plays out. So uh, we're going to start with doorways or entry points where fear is likely to enter into our lives. Um, as I'm going through these, I think it's really important to jot down ones that stick out to you. You may need to have conversations with people in your family, your parents, brothers and sisters. Um, specifically, this first one, generational. Fear is generational. It's in my family. I, I know that without the help of God, I would pass it on to my kids. And he has completely saved us from that. So, I mean, I, I know that... Um, it's so, so important that we look at where we come from. Do you have parents that are super freaked out? Do they watch the news all the time and worry about what's going to happen next and how things could go wrong and what if someone's elected president and what if uh, the what ifs go on and on? That was my upbringing. That was my home. Um, so look at your family of origin. Um, trauma. Gosh, this is a huge one. We all have disappointments in life. We all have major pain, and they come from places that at times we don't even expect them. You know, we had to realize, we adopted last year, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but we had to realize that trauma was a part of that story in so many levels. And um, the doorway that that opened for things to come in, um, we could have never predicted. We didn't know. So, I mean, all I will say is trauma, um, it could be a bad breakup. It could be something you were really counting on, not coming through, not happening, um, a wreck, a divorce, um, a near-death experience for you or someone close to you. Um, that's a really big one. Religion. Religion is a huge doorway for um, fear to come in because ultimately, if you're ruled by religion, you're, you're just afraid you're never going to measure up, and God, the big punisher, is going to come whack you with a stick. So, you know, if you have a background of religion, you need to be looking to see if fear is hiding anywhere. Unloving, rejection, failure. Um, failure is a big one. You know, don't do that again. You messed up last time. If you do that again, you're going to get hurt and humiliated all over again. You protect yourself. You are not going to be a failure. And then you walk in a fear of failure for the rest of your life if it goes unchecked. Um, womb events. This is really huge. Um, 
you know, life is hard and things happen. Um, I think it's really important to find out about your existence before you breathed your first, first breath. Um, you know, talk to your mom. You know, was life really hard? Was there any um, stress, trauma, um, abortion, thoughts of abortion? Um, any of those things can open doorways before a child is ever even born. Um, and there are crazy statistics uh, that prove that. So um, now I say that to say this isn't something to be fearful of. Because let's be clear, we all have authority, right? There's, these are not, we're not afraid of fear. It's exactly what it wants us to do. The more we're afraid of fear, then the more fear can reign. The reality is, is all we have to do is repent and call God into it and ask him to take authority over it in the name of Jesus and, and walk out of it. So when I say these things, it's not to you know, walk away because if you are walking under fear, you're like, oh my gosh, I did that. Oh, and this happened. Oh, and it can pile up on you. And that's not what we want. We need to know that we are victorious through Jesus. Um, there's something called the bastard's curse in Deuteronomy 23.2 um, that literally states that a, a baby that is born out of wedlock, that there will be a curse to the 10th generation. Um, and resulting, there will be a terror of God. And when we say terror, um, that is not the good fear of God. That is, I, I have to protect myself and run for my life because I'm not sure you're safe. Um, so that's another one. Just we look at, we can see patterns. We can see patterns generationally of children born out of wedlock. Again, curses don't have power over us if we repent and give them to the Lord. Um, but it's just something for you to know about. If that's a pattern you see in your family or even one that is part of your um, lifeline, I think that's something to give give to the Lord and repent of and say that you are repenting of that for your generation and for the hundred generations to come. Um, legal problems, witnessing violence. Um, you know, this is super silly, but when my girls were little, um, I remember when we'd watch shows and sometimes they'd be like, oh, we're not going to watch that. And they'd be like, why not? Everybody's watching it. And I remember saying to them, if you want a glass of orange juice, don't pour milk in your cup. And they would get so annoyed. They'd be like, why are you saying this all the time? I'm like, because if you want to drink something good, you don't put bad things in your cup. And there's a lot of people out there that think now, oh, if I go watch that movie about people getting murdered and satanic rituals, it's just funny. I'm making a joke of it. And, you know, you can do what you want. I'm not, I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying if you want to drink orange juice, don't put milk in your cup. And I think... Um, Witnessing violence is like that. When we watch brutal, horrific things happen to God's creation, even if they're not real, it does something to our spirit. It does something to the basic core of who God's made us to be. Um, so that's my thing on that. And you can think my illustration is as annoying as my kids think it, but it's true. Um, lastly, uh, military service, hard leaders. I'm not saying everyone who's in military has had some experience with fear, but there is enough information and studies around that just show that when you have been put in a situation where warlike um, scenarios and activities and leaders who have who have pushed you and um, that that those situations can shape and open a door for fear potentially. So uh, those are the doorways. Um, the description of fear. Uh, just for reference, description, the, the term fear is mentioned 326 times in the Bible, and it is the number one command in Scripture to not fear. 
Um, and I think the reason that God did that is he is just exposing the main tactic that the enemy uses to disconnect us from his love and our life source. He's just saying, watch out, don't fear, don't fear, because he is so incredibly aware of the destructive nature of it in our relationship with him and with others. Um, The Bible says that I know I will see good in the land of the living, but fear says that I have a certainty in suffering and destruction. Um, Fear is a bait into control. Um, This one is, I mean, it's kind of easy to see how it plays out. Um, But basically we're saying, God can't be trusted. I'm going to have to handle this on my own. Uh, I have seen this play out. When I feel fear, when I would walk in fear a lot, like, um, and even at times now I still feel like when I start to have a thought that's fearful, it's almost like my brain, like the spirit had trained me to not recognize the emotion of fear and then just give it to the Lord. It was a, oh, I feel this. What am I going to do? There was always a, oh, what am I going to do? And it almost always resulted in me controlling a situation to keep myself safe or my kids safe or, you know, to have my husband do something that I thought would make us more safe and protected. Um, The funny thing is that fear is always going to be there for you. And it will always do what you want it to do. Um, And it's tricky because I think it's really easy for us um, in our culture and even just even in faith circles at times to look at God like a genie. Like, well, I'm going to pray and ask God to do X, Y, Z for me. And then the minute he doesn't do it the way we want him to do it, then we feel like, oh, he must want me to step in. He doesn't have it now. I think I'm going to have to step in here and take a little control over it and maybe let him know how he could do this best. Um, It's super tricky. Um, But fear is always there, and it usually looks like it's going to be a really helpful solution to your problem, but it's not. It is a trap, and I can speak from personal experience that it hurts yourself and it hurts a lot of people around you because it, it basically cozies up with the demonic spirit of control, which you don't want either. Um, because you know we were never meant to control, right? Does everybody know that? Do you know that we were not created to be contr- creatures of control? Um, God is in control. The word says um, in the Psalms, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. He is the one who gives me security, not because I have it figured out, but because I have a good shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's in control, and he promises me that he will keep me without want. Now, if I really believe that, then I don't have to control anything. Control says that he's not going to take care of me, so I have to take care of myself. I'll figure out my own destiny so that I can make sure that I am taken care of. Fear is what keeps people from being vulnerable and open. And I would say I see this so much in, um, I'm not a man, so I can't speak to how this works in circles of men's friendships, but I can speak to women and say that I think this is probably the one, number one most isolating factor in female relationships um, is just that we fear so many things. We fear our inadequacy. We fear we're not mothering well. We fear we're not a good enough wife. We fear we're messing up. We fear that we're not supposed to work or we fear that we're not supposed to just stay home. We should give our kids a different example of something. There, there are so many fears that um, I feel like as women have kept us from being vulnerable and open with each other. Psalm eighteen nineteen says, God has brought me to a spacious place because he delights in me. This verse 
reflect somebody who's completely secure. Someone who can go out into an open place and be exposed and vulnerable because they know the shepherd's there and he's got his rod and his staff and if they go towards danger, he's just going to reach out and pull them in. Um, And I think fear really wants to keep us from being vulnerable so we live in isolation. And when we live in isolation, we can't experience the fullness of relationship that God has for us. Fear calls God a liar. That's on your paper. Fear calls God a liar. It overturns belief, and in and of itself, it is a belief of its own. Fear is a belief. If you think it's not, just think about it. It's the complete opposite. of You're believing in something. You're just not believing in God. You're saying, I believe you're not who you say you are. I believe you won't provide for me. I believe you won't take care of me. I believe you, won't, you, you want to punish me. 1 John 1, 4 says that fear has to do with punishment. That's not God. God is not out to punish us. That is not our Heavenly Father. This is a belief that religion wants to tell you. It wants to tell you that if you don't jump through the right hoops and you don't do the right things, that God's going to come up behind you and he's just going to whack you on the fingers and say, bad boy, bad girl, do better next time. Um, For some reason, you believe that God wants to remove his care from you because he needs to teach you a lesson. Oh, I'm going to get her this time. She did that thing again. Mm. If I get her good, she is really, really going to get my point this time. And then maybe, maybe she'll love me well. That is not God. But that is what fear makes us believe about God. And it's wrong and it's ugly and I've done it. And I hate it and I don't want it. Um, so, yeah, that's how fear lies. Some other names for fear. Shame. Shame is just a fear of being known. Guilt, guilt is fear of the past. Worry or anxiety, that's fear for the future. The Bible's super clear, clear about that. Why borrow worry from tomorrow? You know, today has enough problems of its own. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? Um, we hear that a number of times in the Bible. Um, nervous, nervous is just a fear of stillness. I want you to think about your crazy Aunt Millie, who, whatever her name is, who when you're at her house, it's always, you're afraid you're going to break something, you're going to mess up the vinyl covering on the sofa, she's in the kitchen, there's always the next course of the meal, and we're doing dishes, and you're in there, and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so unenjoyable. But yet, we do the similar thing. I mean, we're very, we we just make excuses for worry and anxiety. Um, and most always, that's going to come out of control. You know, like when, when we begin to, begin to get worrisome and anxious, it's because something seems outside of our control. Um, lastly, stress is the fear of failure. And this one right here, wow, this is the great American bragging right. Woo, I am so stressed. Oh, my job is so crazy busy. If you understood how, what it's like to have as many kids that I do, I mean, I don't ever sleep at night. I, we haven't, my husband and I, we haven't had a date for five years. Oh, aren't I an awesome mom? Isn't that great of me? What in the world? I mean, it's ridiculousness. And we just, the funny thing is that we just feed into, oh, you're such a good mom. I can't believe you sacrificed so much. Or, oh man, dad, that job, you're working so hard for your kids. Oh, way to go. You're there every Saturday just putting the extra hours. Oh man, that must be so hard. You know, we have so many excuses why stress is okay in our life, and it's just not. Stress is fear. 
And we have got to stop putting it up on a pedestal and giving it praise. And you know what? When we're tired and we're weak and we're weary, it is a perfect opportunity to give God, praise to God for giving us strength to get through. And when you have to say no to the extra hours at work, and you have to say no to the things to find rest, we know that God's going to provide all of our needs. We have got to stop. As, I just, as believers, I just think it's gross. We just do it so often. And sometimes we do it around our religious acts, like this, like, oh, i got to go to this conference, and then i got to go serve, and i got to do this. God doesn't want it. He just doesn't want it, um, especially if it's coming out of a place of fear. So if faith is the substance of things hoped for, then fear is the substance of things not hoped for. Do you get that? If we know from the Bible, we say, um, if faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, fear is just the opposite of that. It, it's just faith in the things that we don't want. Um, when you project dread into the future, you are giving powerful tools to the, de- to the devil to use. The book of Job, I mean, Job is a, an amazing guy, and when he hit suffering, um, it grew him, and I would not, I don't know how I'd respond, but I do know that in the beginning of Job, um, he says, what I dreaded most has come upon me. And when I hear that, all I have to think is at some point, Job was walking in fear because he had a lot of dread. When he's saying, what I dreaded most, there's, there's the understanding that he has spent significant time thinking about how horrible it would be to lose his children and his cattle and everything he loves, his wife, his family. He has entertained the idea to the point that it's dread, and then it happens. So all I have to say is from that, I have to pull out some understanding when he says what I've dreaded most has happened, that there is some power in us putting our faith into our fears. And we see that play out in the story of Job. Uh, When we agree with fear, we are dangling the keys to our life right in front of the enemy and saying, come and get me. Come and get me. Oh, I'm so afraid my kids are going to be sick. Oh, I'm so afraid they're not going to have friends. Oh. And when we go around and we talk about it with our friends and we say, oh, in this fear, I have this fear. Oh, you know, oh, I'm so afraid I'm going to lose my job. What if I lose my job? Oh, I just don't know if I'm good at my job. Oh, well, what do you think we're saying to Satan? Come take my job. You want to take me down? Here's the blueprint right here. You want to go for the jugular? That one right there, that's a good one. That's really going to get me. We're making it so easy. Here are the keys to my heart, Satan, if you want in. Just send one of your little guys. He can go right for what hurts. Instead, we should be projecting faith into our future. You know what? If my children, God prevent, when I says, if my children were gone next week or something happened to my husband, I know that God would be with me. He would be my comfort. He would be my support. He would be my husband. He would be my strength. He would get me through because I am not afraid. Those are the things we walk forward with. Those are the things we project into the future. I'm not asking for any trouble, but I'm, not, but I'm also saying right now, this is off limits. And I've had to even do that. You know, even today with my son, you know, we were going through something, and I, at one point I was like, this is off limits. Satan, you can't have this. You cannot have this relationship. There is not going to be this here. We have to be able to say, no way. God died, or Jesus sent, God sent Jesus to die for me, so I have authority, and I'm going to walk in that authority. When bad things come, we see God's goodness in a new way. 
and we will have no fear. Those are the things I want to walk in. And I can be honest in saying that's not how I've always walked. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that I'm a saint and I've done it. I've screwed up the majority of my life. And I mean, even this week, I've, I have totally messed up and entertained fear and had to repent of it. So it's not like this is something that is, I've completely mastered. Um, but our words have power. And we need to see that. We need to see that as God is willing to act on our faith, the enemy is willing to act on our fear. I'm going to say it one more time. As God is willing to act on our faith, and he is, he loves our faith. In the same way I love when my kids believe that I'm going to do something good for them, we can believe he's going to act on our faith. In the same way, the enemy is completely willing to act on our fear. So, um, types of fear. We're going to we're going to hit a couple of those. So if you want to look at your sheet, while I'm doing this, what I'd like you to do is to circle at least five of these that apply to you. Um, there are going to be opportunities for you, I'm sure, in the next days, weeks, or even months um, to sit and process more of these. But if you feel a little ping in your heart, a little like, oh, that hit me a little weird. I feel like that might have touched something. Why is she saying that? Is she saying that to me? Um, I think uh, that's probably something you should circle, and at some point you probably need to follow that up with your community of believers and um, talk about it and ultimately walk to a point of repentance in it and giving it to the Lord and taking authority in Jesus' name. Uh, so we're going to start. We're going to start with a really big one, fear of man. Um, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but those who trust in the Lord will be safe. I'm just going to be clear. We all need to circle this one. Everybody, just circle it. We are all in some way, shape, or form motivated by the approval of others. And um, if you're sitting there saying, oh, no, not me, then you need to circle it twice. Um, Pain, fear of pain, fear of deliverance, um, fear of abandonment, animals, I guess chipmunks would be included in that. Words, assault, um, authority, bad news, being alone, being controlled, being free. And that's what we talked about in the beginning. Sometimes we are just so afraid to be free. Because you know what? Our little guys that creep around in the back, they justify everything we want to think and believe and do and how we treat people. And so we hold on to them. I think being free is a really big one too. Um, Betrayal, change, children. Commitment, criticism, dark, death, um, dependency. I guess despondency would be a good one, too. That's a great word, but that's not on the sheet. Dependency, disapproval, disease, drowning, early death. Um, Here's an interesting thing. Michael Jackson. I know a lot of us love him, um, but did you know that he would talk about dying an early death? Like, for a lot of his life. He had a lot of strange obsessions. But that was another, that he would frequently talk about how he was going to die an early death. Well, I'm sure Satan looked at them like, I can do that, especially when you love pills. I can make that work for you. Um, I'm not saying pills are bad. I'm just saying Satan saw a doorway and he took it. Um, Evil spirits. We're not supposed to have fear of evil spirits, people. They are chipmunks in our house. You just take the broom and you hit them out in the name of Jesus. We were not created to be afraid of evil spirits lurking around every corner. We are God's children. We are co-heirs and rulers with him in the kingdom of God. Um, Some of us are fear of God, have a fear of God. And I'm going to be clear, this is not 
the healthy fear, but this is more of the terror fear that we talked about earlier, that God's going to come up and smack you or you're going to go to give him a hug and he's going to knock your legs out from underneath you. That is the wrong kind of fear in God. Um, failure, humiliation, inadequacy, insanity, judgment, lack, losing your salvation, man, doctors, natural disaster, your own sexuality, pain and suffering, poverty, pregnancy, public speaking, races, rejection, correction. It's a long list. Y'all catching on to that? Fear has a lot of potential outputs in our life. Um, where was I? Uh, correction, responsibility, sex, spouse, success, the enemy. Um, let's think about David. David had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And I pray I never do, but he could say in the midst of that that he feared no evil. Um, we have a fear of the unknown, of war, water, weapons, and nightmares. Uh, I'm sure we could add more to that list. That is not exhaustive. And if you come up with your own little cocktail and new version, feel free to add it to your list. We are not saying this is limited to, but it does contain all of these. Um, the underlings of fear, I'm sure we've covered this at some point, but if not, we'll just redo it. Again, underlings, um, underlings work for the big guy. Think of the mafia. It's the mafia, the godfather's at the top. He doesn't really have to do much work. He just kind of keeps control over everything, and he sends all his little guys out to kill people and put them in trunks. So the underlings are the guys who work for um, the strongman or the, the main stronghold. And the funny thing is I have found with underlings, a lot of times you can even, if you can't see fear, um, it's usually because an underling has kind of taken up residence to cover it. Um, underlings are like blankets. They like to, it's like smoking, smoking mirrors or like the, the Wizard of Oz. If you think of the Wizard of Oz, the great and powerful Oz, you know, he's behind the curtain. Like that's just what the underlings do. So um, if you have one of these things, it could be a sign that the big guy of fear is just lurking behind these and they're just covering it. Um, performance. Um, and this, my husband would talk about this one. Like for him, you'd be like, no, I don't have fear where I'm like, I am so fearful all the time. He's like, I don't know. But then when, when he really began looking at it, you know, he began to see, well, gosh, what is performance? Why am I performing? Oh, why am I so competitive? You know, like we have to look at these things. He's like, oh, if I trace back that performance, it's taking me deeper to what my real wounding is. And it's in fear. Um, perfectionism, a fear that I'll be discovered as inadequate. What if someone comes to my house and the toilets are dirty and my sink is full of dishes? Um, Self-consciousness. Um, I like to even say this as hyper self-awareness. If you have a hyper self-awareness about yourself, if you're in a room and you think everyone's looking at you or aware of what you said, there's a good chance that fear is behind that. Um, shyness, that seems kind of obvious. Speculation, superstition, and occult. Um, I mean, I think obviously th that's where control comes in. Control would love to hang out with um, superstition and occult and suspicion. So those um, are all the different types of fear, not the exhaustive, but pretty full, and the underlings. Um, now let's look at the health consequences. Uh, this one is crazy, because I feel like if we were to kind of take a pulse on American illness and what leading causes of death, I would say that there's probably a pretty good chance that the spirit of fear is responsible for a pretty large piece of those. Um, 
there is a 69% increase in a baby's asthma risk when the mother is highly stressed at 32 weeks of pregnancy. What? Uh, that was in Fit Pregnancy in May of 2009. Um, tumors are caused by toxic levels of adrenaline. So this is how adrenaline works. That feeling I talked about in the beginning when your heart starts racing and your armpits get sweaty, that's adrenaline. Adrenaline does that. It's, ah, I'm not safe, and it's, we move to the next phase, which is called fight or flight. What happens over an extended period of time, are we condition our body to know, oh, I don't have to fight, and I don't have to leave. Oh, so I'm just going to internalize it. And so, so what happens is that adrenaline is continually released in our body over and over and over again. And we suppress the emotion, we suppress the feeling, we push it down, and then pretty soon we wonder why we're having anxiety attacks. Or we're wondering why we're depressed and we just can't understand why. Um, it's because we are suppressing emotion and we are feeling all the results and actions of fear, but our body is not actually outputting them the way they're supposed to. So all of that adrenaline stays in our body and it causes um, hormonal imbalances, neurological, brain misfunctions, all these things. And I'm not a doctor, so like, I'm not asking for y'all to quote me and put me on Oprah. I could be wrong on a lot of these things, but I'm just saying there is significant connection between anxiety and stress and the adrenaline it releases in our body and the harmful effect it has on us. Um, there's a great book that has been produced that has a lot of great information about um, the health consequences of different strongholds, and it is called A More Excellent Way and it's written by a man named Henry Wright, who he himself is not a doctor, but he has worked with a number of doctors as they've prayed for healing um, for different people, and they've been able to connect different patterns of um, strongholds with physical uh, manifestations. Um, and I want to read something from his book um, that he has found based on some of his medical studies. It says that, Did you know when fear, stress, and anxiety, or any other permutation of fear is present in your spirit, adrenaline is constantly being released into your bloodstream. And did you know that over extended periods of time, because never, God never intended this to be, adrenaline in the bloodstream becomes toxic. These toxics in your, toxins in your blood over a period of time produce tumors and cancer. Your bloodstream is not built to handle adrenaline for long periods of time. Are we starting to see how the enemy wants to use fear to destroy us? I'm going to pause there really quickly. I mean, really, let's see, he, he is in for our ultimate destruction. Yes, he wants to torment us. He wants to distort us and keep us isolated and separated from our life source and the love of our life. But ultimately, he wants us dead before we ever figure that out. So you have to understand that the things that we're agreeing with, why they hurt our spirit and they make us sad, if we leave them unchecked, they will kill us because that is the enemy's ultimate goal. Um... Doctors have long observed that cancer patients regularly deal with fear, stress, and anxiety, etc. But this deception runs deeper. This is a direct quote from a medical webpage on which I looked up adrenaline. Um, this is from a medical webpage. Adrenaline addiction is very common. People become addicted to their excessive activity by the simulation and arousal of adrenaline. People who are constantly angry, fearful, guilty, or worrisome arouse their adrenaline hormone even though they may sit doing nothing. People who are excessive in their participation in jogging, exercising, bodybuilding, aerobics, sports, skiing, mountain climbing, car racing, 
or flying airplanes become addicted because the adrenaline rush from their, of the adrenaline rush from their activity. They describe the rush they get from their activity and, feeling, and they describe feeling depressed when they um, cannot participate for some unexpected reason. So this thing called adrenaline, it is, it is something that we become addicted to and it's something that just begins to function on its own in our body when we operate in fear. Um, some other health consequences, insomnia, high blood pressure, asthma, allergies, immune disorders, short-term memory loss, anorexia, bulimia, and depression. All of these things. And, and similarly to um, what we were talking about, like underlings, if you don't know you have fear and this is something a doctor has already said to you or something you've struggled with in your past, it might be a, oh, maybe I should think about that. I'm just saying, it might be something you want, might want to write down and kind of trace that back and be like, oh, I have had that. Let me walk back and see how far that goes and if, if it actually is rooted in fear. So the most important part of all of this, now that we have all the information, is understanding what does God say. Um, fear is Satan's perverted form of faith, and it's a sin. Uh, we repeatedly see the command spoken, do not fear. Um, but, you know, I'm going to be honest. Like, even though I had heard that as a child, um, I knew that the big things were a sin. Like, don't have sex before you're married, and don't get drunk, and don't steal things. Um, I just never was trained in seeing fear as a sin. Instead, I was encouraged to use it to get me to behave better because fear really worked. If I was fearful enough, then I would be a good girl and then it made people happy. And if I performed better and I was afraid if I didn't perform well that I'd be punished, then everything would be really great. So not only was I not teached, teached, okay, seriously, even though I was not taught, that, um, that fear was a sin, it was almost encouraged as a motivator for my behavior. So um, it almost became the like, well, yeah, I have to do that. I have to do that. Um, we see numerous scriptures telling us not to fear. Um, Zephaniah 3.16, Haggai 2.5, 1 Peter 3.6. Um, John 14.27 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. One of my favorite verses um, is in Romans 8.15, and it says, For you did not receive a spirit, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If I am the daughter of God, I have to understand that I have every resource that's disposable to him that, that's for me. I have it. I can use it. It's mine. I'm his daughter. He gives it to me freely. This is so incredibly mind-blowing to me. If I fully, and if we fully knew how to walk as his beloved children, we'd have no need to continue walking in the bondage of fear ever again. And I think that this is really, really pivotal because we see that, that what we're talking about is a sonship issue. What we're talking about is our identity and who we are and fear has completely, completely hijacked that. It has taken it away from us. Um, John 1.20 says, for as, many has for as many as have received him, they have been given the right to be called children of God. It is almost inconceivable to grasp the ramifications of a statement like that. 
Man, I mean, that's huge. I am the daughter of God. The God of everything. The God who spoke the world into creation. The God who sent his son to die on the cross to give us life eternal. He's my daddy. That's my dad. When I came to Jesus, I didn't receive a spirit of fear to perform and do better and be a good girl so everyone liked me and I looked like a good Christian. That is not what he gave me. He gave me his fatherhood. He gave me the gift of being his daughter. And if I think that my sonship or my daughtership is based on being good enough or doing enough good things or leading enough Bible studies or going on go trips and serving in kids club, I'm completely fooled and I'm totally missing it. And so are you. We all are. It's a bunch of junk and he doesn't want it. Because we are his sons and daughters. And his protection and his provision is completely ours and it is a non-issue for the rest of our lives. It's nothing he's ever going to take back. It's nothing you can ever lose. He is your dad forever. If you are having a problem with that, I would just encourage you to spend a little time just sitting and asking yourself, am I okay just being a daughter? Am I okay with that? Um, I said earlier I had kind of referenced this. We have been on this amazing journey. We adopted the most amazing, cute baby boy. If I had the ability to show you a picture of him right now, I would, because you'd also say he's the cutest boy ever. Um, but when we adopted him, I can be honest, there's just never been a moment since the moment I held him in my arms that he has been anything other than my son. There's never been a moment, and you know, people will ask, like, well, could you love him the same way? Like, is it weird? I, I don't know how. I don't know why. And I'm okay if you ask that question. I understand if you've never adopted how that could be an honest question. But I'm telling you the answer, point blank, no. No, there has never been a minute when I have held my sweet, adorable baby son in my hands and have had a question if he was my son forever and that he gets everything that my biological children have been given. Everything. He has it all. There is no difference in my mind. Um, on the day we closed his adoption, we received this legal document. And I say this only because I think it's really important for us to understand that, that the entire realm of the spirit world operates under legality. It understands there's a, there's a system. It understands that there are, there's authority and that they have to fall under authority. And I want to read this to you because I think it makes it really clear what happens to us when we become adopted as God's sons and daughters. This is written on Noah's adoption decree. This adoption decree creates a legal relationship between the adoptee, our son Noah, and the petitioners, me and my husband Tim, and all relatives, so every single person in our family, every single person in the body of Christ, that would have existed as if the adoptee were a blood descendant of the petitioners born within wedlock, entitled to all rights and all privileges thereof, and subject to all obligations of a child born to the petitioners, Tim Seneff and Mary Seneff, husband and wife. I don't know what to say to that other than yes, absolutely, yes. Our sonship completely tears down fear. And when we believe that we are the rightful daughters and sons of our father, 
and everything that he has is ours, somehow fear completely fades away. Our adoption through Jesus means that it's legal, it's binding, and every demonic authority must submit to it. And that's all I have to say about that. I mean, there's really not, I mean, like we could talk about it forever, but the reality is, is that's what Jesus did for us. He gave us an adoption decree that basically says we're his and nothing can ever change it. And we're part of the family and no one can ever take us out of it. Revelation 21, 7, 8 says, sons of God are not cowards, they're overcomers. We were not meant to cower back in fear. And that's why we need each other. We need to lock arms and walk forward in our identity and who we are. Why aren't we doing that? 1 John 4.18, the one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Man, that, that's a big one. And you know what? It's not something God's saying you have to strive for. Oh, just be more perfect in love. Bad girl. No, he's saying you're made perfect in love because you're mine. You're mine. You don't have to, you don't have to fear because I've made you perfect in my love. So what is the healthy fear of God? The fear of the Lord is a proper motivator. So let's just tear that down and try to understand that real quickly. Um, it is respect for him and it's regard for his status. It's seeing that he is much higher and greater than we are. And it's consciousness that he is full of power. And he is always right. He is always just. Psalm 19.9 says, The fear of the Lord is pure. There is no terror connected to it. When, when I walk into my house tonight, when I go home, you know what? My kids are not going to run into the closet and cower for me. They are going to run to me and hug me and say, oh, mommy, I love you. There is no fear in that. There's no terror. Now, if I tell them that they are supposed to go do something, they know they're supposed to go do it. That's very different. That's very different than terror. Very different. Because terror is based on not knowing what someone is like or how they're going to react to you. But this isn't true of God because we know his character. He tells us who he is. He's given us his word, and he has shown us time and time again who he is and what he will do and what he has done. What a gift that he's given us that. We don't have terror because he's already made himself known. Hebrews says, I can walk boldly into the throne room of God, and I can do that because I already know what God's system is. It's that if I'm covered in the blood of Jesus... And I've already said I'm his, then I don't ever have to fear punishment, condemnation, that I'm a rightful heir and I am his daughter. I know that system. I know how it works. And when, when a loving father, which is who he is, when I know he's a loving father, I know my position. I know where I can be. And there's no fear in that. I fear him because of who he is. There's no terror, but it's because I know he is the great I am. He is the one who spoke the stars, the heavens, the oceans, the land, our beings into existence. He is the one who holds my heart. He is the one who counsels me in my pain, and he whispers words of comfort to me in my darkness. He's the one. And I don't walk under him in dutiful obedience. It is joyful obedience because there's no one else I would want to submit my life under. There is no one else I would want to serve and no one else I would want to worship. So the fear of God is that he is exactly who he says he is and he will always do exactly what he says he will do. His attitude towards sin has never changed, never once. He's not going to dupe you. 
He's going to do the thing he's always said and said, you're completely forgiven under the blood of Jesus every single time because that's his character. You don't need to fear that in terror. So what are the tactics? What do we do? What's our, what, what do we do? What do we do with all of this fear we see everywhere? It's everywhere. What are we going to do? Um, and you might be freaking out. You might be like, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. I get it. That was me. I totally get it. And I'm here to say on the other side, you're going to be great. You're going to be awesome. And you, you're, you know what? There's going to be little battles that come up, but when you realize who you are and you realize what the chipmunks, chipmunks are, you just kick them out of your house. How would you treat a friend who lies to you as much as fear does? I mean, isn't that a good question? If I had a friend who lied to me as much as fear did, would I be their friend? No. I would deal with it and I would get a new friend. Why do we cozy up to fear? Why do we make excuses for it? It is not your friend. Let me be very clear. Fear is not your friend. So if fear is the opposite of faith, um, we know that. We know that fear is the opposite of faith. What is the antidote to fear? Well, the Bible is very clear. First John says that perfect love casts out all fear. So therefore, the antidote to fear is love. Everything in our lives is either filtered through love or fear. Those are our two filters. There's no in-between. We are either filtering what, we've, what we see and believe through the filter of love and who God is, or through fear and who the enemy is and his power. Those are our filters. Fear and anxiety issues are always rooted in a love deficiency. If you see fear, there is something, there's a love issue, which is why we've talked so much about sonship and daughtership. If there's a fear issue, there is something going on in your love relationship with God, and there's a good chance it came from another relationship in your life that really hurt you and let you down, and those are things you need to deal with. You need to go crawl up in your daddy's lap for like, I don't, two years or eternity. I don't even know how long. I mean, I'm still there and I want to stay there and you just need to have him wrap his big holy arms around you and love on you and let you know that you're his. You're his. You're completely his. Tim and I like to meet with um, couples when they first get married and we heard a piece of advice from good friends um, that we did not have but wish we had. And that piece of advice is... um, your first year of marriage, you really should just pull out of everything and just focus on loving each other. And it's biblical, it's somewhere in scripture, and I don't know where it is, but it is. And it's good, and it's something, um, if you're not married, I would highly suggest. And heck, if you're married, maybe you just need to take a year and do that. I like that idea. Maybe I'll do that. Um, but just to take a year and, and do nothing and delight in learning how to love each other and um, find your delight in each other. Um, but I say that to say that there is something unique about learning how to receive love. And that's why that's so important to do that first year of marriage is we're learning how to give and receive love to each other. And that's new. And, you know, anything you saw before marriage, I think anyone who's married knows that that was not the real deal. You get the real deal after you say I do and there's great parts of it and there's really hard parts of it. And... Um, that first year, it's so good just to, to practice um, giving and receiving love. Um, and I say that because I think this idea of, of allowing love to be the antidote to fear is completely dependent on if you're, if you're able to receive love. Um, 
you know, we have the screw head here at Crossroads, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, but it's the shape, and we go from a seeker to a receiver to a follower and ultimately to a producer, which means you know we're taking people through the process of spiritual maturity. And in the beginning, they're just looking for God, and we get to this spot called receiver, and receiver is kind of like where it just is like, boom, it's like the wedding. We say, I do. We're in covenant. We're in relationship. And then just like marriage, there should be this season of time where we learn how to receive, but instead we pop over to follower and we just start doing all of our things for God and doing everything. Um, and we miss what it looks like, feels like, and the tangible ability to receive love from God. It's, tan- it's something you feel. It's, it's something you know in your heart. And we skip through that and we just start working. And we can be a follower producer that we've never fully received the love of God. And that's why these things can stay in place in our life for so long. Um, I know I've talked a lot about adop- adoption, um, and recently, you know, I've just been learning a lot about that and the attachment process. Um, but I want to give a story. Like, what if, what if when we adopted our son, um, we immediately told him to go out and talk to everyone about what a great mom and dad we are and how much we love him, and then we're like, you know what? You're so lucky you have us as a mom and dad now. We want you to serve us. Could you make us dinner, and could you clean our house? Um, And that we would tell him that how he loves us just shows his deep appreciation for all that we've done for him, that he gets to be our son. I mean, does that not sound absolutely ludicrous? That at the moment he becomes our son, we now have expectations on him for how he's going to serve us and how he's going to talk to people about us and what he's going to do for us out of appreciation for us. It's crazy. You'd probably even call it abuse. I mean, honestly, we would definitely be on some news station somewhere if we did that to our newly adopted child, and we'd probably go to jail. He would learn from the beginning that he is nothing more than a slave and that all we want from him is his work and his obedience. Our love would be completely distorted in his mind. And instead of spending years of attaching to him, making him secure in our love, and knowing that everything we have is his and that will never change, we would, we would be showing him that our love isn't safe and that it's dependent upon his performance. But somehow, when we become sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, this is what we think is happening. This is what happens. And some way, we think that this is what he wants from us. He wants us to go out and talk about him and do things for him and show our great appreciation for him, which those are all great things, but that's not the point. He wants us to receive him. He wants us to receive him as his father and learn from him what it feels like to be a daughter or what it feels like to be a son, and then all those things will come out of it. We just are missing that step. He doesn't want us to prove our love for him. He's already proven his love for us. There's nothing he needs us to do. And the funny thing is, is even within the walls of the church, we think that this is okay. That we think it's okay to take new babies into our family and then push them out and make them work before they ever fully know the love, comfort, and protection of their Heavenly Father. That is not a father-son relationship. That is not a husband-wife relationship. That is a slave and master relationship. And if If you have never had a season of receiving from the Lord, you're operating in one of those two. 
You're, you're, not, you're not operating in one of those two. You are operating as a slave. You're not operating in being fully received and receiving love and knowing you're loved and knowing you're a daughter or a son. Perfect love casts out all fear. We need to get into the practice of walking in love and receiving his love. That's going to kill fear. It's going gonna, it's gonna to just mash it to, th- to smithereens. If you have a fear problem, just sit down and receive the Lord. So if the first tactic is seeing love as the antidote, the second is giving love away. 1 John 4.2 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, this is not contradictory to what I just said. I'm not saying that God needs you to go out and love other people in order for him to heal you. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is God's word is very clear that his love is made complete in us when we love other people. So if we begin making it our focus to love, something is going to happen in his love in us. And so um, if complete love casts out fear, as John says in the verse we just read, our love is made complete when we love others. So our healing comes through loving other people. And and then at at the same time, while we're loving them, there's no space for fear because it just we're not consumed with ourselves anymore. I mean, fear just completely makes you consumed with yourself. It is a love of self, just like the verse we read from Isaiah 14 in, Sa- in, in Satan's fall. It just puts the focus on us. So give love. That doesn't mean be a slave. It doesn't mean serve more, do more. It means genuinely Begin looking at what it looks like to give love so his love can be made complete in you. Second, repent. I know we've said that a million times. This is not rocket science. If you see it in your life, if it pops up, go to someone, repent, pray to God, and just tell Jesus to take it away in in his name. Just say, take it away in the name of Jesus. I don't agree with this. I don't walk with this. I don't want to have association with this anymore. I am a chosen son or daughter of the living God, and I have all of his rights and all of his authority. Um, Third, proclaim victory. Um, Joel 3.10 says, let the weak say I am strong. There is something that happens, um, and truth becomes a reality when it's declared. I make declarations about my true identity. No lie. I, seriously, no lie. I have written on my bathroom mirror in Sharpie, and I just, not Sharpie, in dry erase. Take a dry erase marker and your bathroom mirror, no one sees it. Make declarations. Make great declarations about yourself. Write truth on that so when you wake up in the morning, I have written on my mirror, along with many other things, I am not afraid. I am not afraid. And I declare that. Because truth is, truth is given through the declared word. I have to say it every day. Another thing I do is I hang verses around my house. I just have random verses put places. So as I'm walking through my day, I just make a declaration. Um, there's one I love right now. It's from Isaiah. It says, all my children will be taught by the Lord. Great will be their peace. Oppression will be far from them. They will have nothing to do with fear. Um, I just, I say it over and over again. I think it says they will be established in righteousness too. I forgot that line. But I just say that all day. Whenever I have a parenting moment where fear wants to come in and say, you're a failure, you're not parenting your kids right, you're screwing them up, I say, wait a minute, all my children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. And I say the whole rest of the verse, which you already heard me say. I'm just saying, find ways to declare truth. 
so that the enemy doesn't have a place to come in. Lastly, walk in faith. Just have faith that God loves you. Have faith that he's your daddy and nothing is ever going to take that away and you don't have to prove anything. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 13 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When you call to me, I will answer. Seek me and you will find me. What? If that isn't a gift from a father, I mean, shouldn't we be able to tell all of our kids, you call me, I'll be there. If you're looking for me, I, my plan is to help you unlock everything you have in your future. That is a good, good father, and that's who we have. And sometimes, you know, your response might be, oh, but you don't know my life. Like, you don't know that I have four mortgages. You don't know that my husband is like this, or you don't know this problem. I get it. Life is hard, and I probably don't know all of your situations. But what I do know is that God is, is, is inviting us to receive this promise in the future that he has for us. And fear is doing absolutely everything it can to keep you from getting there. So the choice is up to you. You have to decide. I can't do it for you. No one can do it for you. You have to decide, are you going to take the future that God says he has for you? Or are you going to take the future that you think is going to win? that is rooted in fear and destruction and torment and pain. You can choose that if you want, but we know where it will take us. Look around you. Look at the world around you and look at what you see. It offers nothing more than the nagging aches of stress, consuming anxiety, isolation, restlessness, and cancer, and health, health, health pain. And he wants to give us so much more. We have to choose. So lastly, these are your five steps for the week. These are the things uh, that will be helpful for you as you're walking through this and um, trying to identify and walk away from and turn against and repent. Uh, the first is consider. What freaks me out? What stresses me out and depresses me? Those are going to be telltale signs of where fear is lurking. Number two is there any negative or bad thing that I am convinced of regarding my future? And that's a big one. And they're, they're so, I mean, sometimes you have to really sit in that one because they've become so close to your truth that you can't even recognize them as a lie. What in my life kills my belief that God loves me? Maybe you never had a honeymoon with God. Maybe you skipped that whole section and you never learned and you've been walking around like a slave proving your love, talking about his greatness, but never really experiencing it for yourself. If that's the case, I just, I invite you to, to be a son and a daughter. Live in that place for a little bit. Number four, where do I go for protection or provision? Ooh, this is a big one. I mean, and I think half of our marriage problems today come from the fact that we are not engaging with our loving father. And so out of fear, we're going to a spouse or a boyfriend or another person asking them to be God or controlling them so that we can be God. So where do you go to for protection or provision? And it can be a person or it could be control. Number five, is there any trauma, disappointment, or failure that I've never dealt with? Um, 
Yeah, that's a big one. And sometimes I have found I even have to go to a quiet place and I have to invite the Holy Spirit to show me because some of those things are so painful and they hurt and I have covered, they've been, I mean, the enemy has covered them up with other things because he doesn't want me to find them. Because when I do, there's going to be revelation and, and the healing oil of the Spirit and the blood of Jesus is going to come into that wound and bring life and healing, and he doesn't want that. So if, if you even need to, if nothing's coming to mind, I just encourage you to sit and invite the Holy Spirit to take you someplace and speak to you about pain and trauma um, and, and ask him to show it to you. I'll also say, um, on a side note, uh, there is a really great YouTube prayer for trauma by a man named Jim Banks. Um, that has been really helpful for me. It's just a 20-minute prayer. I put it on sometimes when I'm going to bed at night, and I feel like even through listening to that, um, it just has opened up and released some things that I didn't know were there. Um, So that's another resource for you if that is helpful at all. So there you go. That is a beginning of an understanding of fear. And um, prayerfully, there's revelation for you if that is something that um, has burned lurking over you for some time. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we can move on to what's next. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you and thank you that you are a loving Father, uh, that you do not call us into slaveship, but you call us into sonship. And because of that, we can walk free of fear. God, we thank you that your love is the antidote to fear and that it casts out all fear. And so, Lord, I just pray for every person here that if we have not fully received and walked in the fullness of your love, that you would take us into a season of doing that. God, I also pray that um, as we go forward, Holy Spirit, we ask you to shine your light into dark places. Bring back memories, um, feelings, emotions that we don't even know that we have, um, and just shine light to where the enemy may be hiding and where fear may be lurking and trying to control us. We submit all these things to you, and we praise you that we are more, more than victorious because we are your children. And we already say thank you, and amen.